Listen up. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the podcast participants and not to any participants, employer, organization, committee, or other group or individual. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. You know, for fun. So lighten up and enjoy. Stomping Jen. Sawtooth Frank. Welcome to the Soft Serve Podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. Do you know who we're talking to this evening? Um, tell me all about them. We are talking to poet Adam Grabowski. He is a two-time Pushcart nominee and the recipient of a 2020 Parent Writer Fellowship from the Martha's Vineyard Institute of Creative Writing. Yes. I got you. Yes. And I am (laughs) excited to talk to Adam because he wrote us a poem. He did write us a poem. Yes. He wrote us more than one. Us, personally. More than one. Yes, two. Yes. And we're going to talk all about this and how it connects to um, his chapbook, which is out there now for sale, called <laughs> Go On Bewilderment. So we're going to get into all of this. All right. Okay, I'm that excited. That was a lot. That was a, lot, right. of, a lot of words. I know, that's there. a longer Sawtooth, intro right? than I normally do. <laughs> that was a but very long... <laughs> I'm feeling wordy tonight. That's because right, because we have a poet. We're talking to a writer, a poet. And I so hope he knows it. I think he might. All right. We're going to find out. All right. Okay, here right. we go. Creamy, delicious ideas without the creepy truck. Stomping Jen, another intro and I'm singing again. I'm rhyming words, we're talking to a poet, Adam Grabowski. Hello. Welcome to the Soft Serve Podcast, Adam. Nice to have you here. Nice to be here. Thank you. We're really excited to talk to you. Um, As I mentioned in my um, very long-winded intro, um, (laughs) and I think I spoke longer than normal, Stomping Jen, because I am excited. Um, Mm -hmm. I mentioned we have two poems um, that Adam Grabowski wrote for us um, when we went to go visit um, a, a poetry street festival um in east hampton massachusetts a while back yeah um so adam was there and we're gonna ask him about that in a minute but first um, it wasn't just like a it was like a what do they call what do they call that poet poetry on the go yeah no that's not what it's called on demand poetry yes on demand and we're gonna ask adam about this and how he got involved in all of that but first um we want to ask adam um if you have anything else you kind of want to tell us in the way of just introducing yourself? You know, I thought about this and I decided I'm going to let the words speak for themselves the most. I tend to blabber on like this when I have to talk about myself outside of poems at all. 
but uh, I'll say that I've been writing for a long time. I've been uh, living in Western Massachusetts, like you as well, for about 20 years, um, at least. And um, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for coming. And um, I, I mentioned ahead of time in some of our exchanges that I was going to ask you to potentially read us some of your poems. And what I love about having a poet on here is we can ask you to do that. Like when we have a painter on mm-hmm. or, or 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 another type of artist, it, it's difficult to have them mm-hmm. share their art with us live kind of as we're recording. But right. um, I wanted to see if you would be willing to read us something so our, our listeners can kind of get a flavor of, of who you are as a, a writer and a poet. Absolutely, absolutely. So I'm going to read... Um, the first two poems off my chapbook. And um, often when I read them, I give a little introduction about where the poems came from. But since we're going to talk about that anyway, maybe I'll hold off on that and I'll just read the poems. Sure, that sounds good. Um, uh, this Not all the poems in the book have a title. This poem actually has a title. It's called At Book Moon which is a bookstore in East uh, Hampton, Massachusetts, where I wrote this. I walk within a hidden place, nook of your neck, the bookstore corner just out of sight line. I have a radiator in my heart, hear it hiss, hear it turn off and turn on. When we leave here, heavy with books, lunch poems, like water for chocolate, where should we go? At what point will we know such a heat? Libraries ask us for quiet. It's the bookstores that get us talking. The second poem um, doesn't have a title outright, but... um, the word from which the poem was born uh, was celestial. So if pressed for a title, I'd say we'll go with that, celestial. And um, if this were a visual medium, which it's not, you'd see that in the book, certain words are emboldened. And I could explain why afterwards too. Um, poem now. That night I closed my eyes, though the sky turned black. No stars to this city, my love. The last time I held you, we looked up and I taught you the best of what I know, which is to say I showed you light long dead, celestial bodies I cradled in my hands, my mind to give you. This is when I knew myself best, how to map myself, how to lead myself to you. Once out on the ocean, the sky taught sailors how not to be lonely. I give myself my own way home. Mm. And scene. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for doing that. Not a problem. So I want to rewind a little bit. How did you start um, getting into poetry? When did you start writing? Oh, early. Um, probably in middle school. It's um, where I started my long love affair of avoiding homework. 
<laughs> and just not doing basically what I was told ever. And, um, you know, the bedroom was a safe place for me often. And um, from middle school through high school, uh, that's where I did pretty much all my writing. And, um, you know, I didn't really, I was never taught what to do. There wasn't a lot of poetry in my grade school or middle school. Um, even in high school, it was not really, a, um, wasn't really pushed. Uh, so I just wrote on my own. Um, I got lucky enough. I was making chat books back then. I would make them and I'd hand them out uh, to my friends and students. A teacher got a hold of it. Um, and she recommended I try this place uh, she'd heard about called Breadloaf Young Writers Conference. And uh, apparently I was way past the cutoff. Like it was starting in May or something. And I was reaching out in like, like April or, or March. And they're like, I reached out and they're like, Oh no, we're done with everything. We're not, we can't. And I'm like, well, let me send you the poem. Maybe see, what do you think? And they said, fine, sure. And I sent it in and you know, it's weird how your life changes sometimes. Um, they reach back and say, you're in, you know, pack your bags. Huh. And um, I didn't really know that bread loaf was a thing. Um, I didn't know it, was, it had any sort of anything. Uh, it was just a place with a weird title. And I, we got there. I got there. And, um, you know, there wasn't yet. This was 1997, 98. So there wasn't really like a subculture for teen poets yet. It was still kind of kind of a, a bedroom style thing or a journal kind of thing. I'm, I'm really, you know, it's good now that it's just, you know, with louder than a bomb and slam and just in general, like poetry is a thing that you can do and be. And it's an identity you can hold on to really early. Um, Breadloaf was good at kind of instilling that in us when there was no other place or way to do it. And after I came back, I was 17, I, I pretty much knew what I wanted to do. Did you have to travel a long distance to get to this place? Breadloaf? Um, not that it was a long distance, but it was a, a journey. Um, I was in Western Massachusetts, as, as always, and Breadloaf's in Vermont. So it was about a three, um, two hour, three hour drive maybe. Um, but the drive itself is just magnificent. And it's just a very green experience. And you go through, I think, some vague kind of national park. And what I remember about that more than anything was, uh, like, hooking into a freeform radio, one of the last ones, and just hearing music I'd never heard before. And just, it was a wonderful experience. Yeah, and I can't help but notice you ended up later in your life at, um, at um, Vermont College of Fine Arts. Um, to do your, your yes. MFA. That, is that a coincidence? Yes. Um, what's a weirder coincidence is that I went back to Breadloaf again exactly 10 years later. And exactly 10 years after that, I went back to Vermont again <laughs> to get my degree. So um, it's a striking coincidence. Uh, Vermont just holds something for me. What, what is Breadloaf? I've never heard of this. Is it a festival? Oh, oh sorry. Um, it's okay. It's um writer. It's a It's a hoity-toity writers conference that okay. um, uh, it's just people want to go there, and it's hard to get in. Mm-hmm. And um, I got in once. I've not gotten in several other times after that. But um, 
I, I think when I was a kid and I went there, um, not knowing what it was, was probably extra important to me. Because uh, I was really just some kid out there. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's a famous, uh, started by Robert Frost, Writers Conference. I mean, it's, you know, oh, wow. the, the Simpsons, like the yeah, Simpsons parried it, parodied it. Uh, like the ultimate called word loaf in one of the <laughs> Simpsons episodes. It's, it's hysterical. Um, you know, I, people have experiences that they talk about and, um, you know, with, to drop bread loaf into a conversation as a poet is kind of, you know, you know, just talking about yourself in some ways, but I didn't really have any other places in my life growing up where I found a lot of poetry and a lot of peers. And I think that's why to talk about my formative years and to talk about what made me as a poet, I, you know, I have to talk about that conference. Yeah. And it's, what's interesting to me is um, hearing you talk is that it wasn't something that loomed large in your consciousness, your first visit, you know, it was sort of a, um, you were able to go there and, and experience it um, from a, uh, kind of an innocent perspective, right? And not have all of yeah, that baggage associated with it in your head. I'll, I'll even go further and say when I went there 10 years later as an adult, I still really didn't have any idea what, that it held any sort of um, recognition. It yeah. was just a place I went to 10 years ago that I really wanted to go back to. And um, I think that was the first time when I went back that I realized how out of it and how far from <laughs> any sort of career uh, I was, even as a writing lifestyle. I, I, was, I was working as a social worker at the time. Um, Did you get to read um, a poem there at Breadloaf the first time you went as a, as a high schooler? Oh, we all read poems all the time. That's, that's <laughs> kind of a gig. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, yeah, you kind of re- you're writing your own poems and you're re- discussing other people's poems. Um, you know, when you were a kid doing it, it was – it, I really, what I remember back then was just kind of like not a celebration, but an embrace of you are writers, you write, yeah. you're here. Um, it not, it not, it's okay to be a writer, but it was just kind of a foundational thing for other kids. I don't know, maybe they grew up with their father reading Robert Lowell to them while they sat in their lap. I didn't have that. So it was all new for me. Yeah. And did you start submitting work to um, journals and other publications after that visit in high school, or did that come later in your life? Oh, much, much later. Even yeah. um, even when I went back ten years later, I don't think I really started submitting in earnest until um, maybe 2017. Wow! Let me do the math. That is stomping Gen. Two. That's only four years ago. <laughs> right, 2017. Oh, no, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna trust your math on that. Yes. yes. Yeah, that's four years ago. It's wow. Two, it's 2021. Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> I'm you, sorry. You I'm looking. Something. I'm, I'm no, looking. No, no. I'm looking up the uh, the bread loaf thing. And what are you seeing there? I'm just seeing what it what it's all about. Yeah. And what did it What did it mean to you? to go there to that conference and um, kind of have validation that it was okay to have that identity as a writer. And did you, 
did and as a poet, did you seize upon that and begin to have more confidence in yourself after that as a writer and a poet? Is that when you got really serious for yourself? Yeah, I'm sitting. I'm sitting here talking about it um, with this weight to it, and it was that too. But I, you know, I was a 17 year old boy. There were girls involved. <laughs> uh, you know, I remember that as much as I remember anything else. It's yeah. Just meeting. Um, I don't. I remember not writing very well while I was there. But uh, you know, again, it was it was just miles away from what I had back home. Mm, like a format. And, um, yeah, I would say formative, both as a you know seventeen year old mm-hmm. dude and also as a, as a writer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can I can I tell you a secret, Adam? What's your secret? Okay, cool. <laughs> please, please, yes, Uh-oh. between you and me. Sawtooth and I met in a poetry group. That's true. In college, no way. No way. Yeah. No way. Tell yeah. me everything. Tell me oh, everything. that's it. It's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, okay. I feel cool. like we've told this story on the podcast before, no, but we, go ahead. We have, we have, we have told the podcast at much, uh, sorry, we've told that story at much length on this podcast. We won't, we're not going to bore Adam with it. Yeah. Um, okay. But I was, I was thinking yeah. about the first time I kind of stood up in front of a group of people and read a poem. Yeah. And Stomping Jen, that is when you realize the power of my brilliant mind, no doubt. Um, <clears throat> and... Um, whether <laughs> Wait, flip that story around, by the way. What? I noticed you without the poetry. It took yes. a poem to get you to notice me. But that's true. I, I did notice your brilliant mind when I heard <laughs> your poem. Um, but well, I guess what I wanted to go with is I've had very much had a feeling of finding my people, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of, of when I... I had this poem I had written um, prior to being in the poetry club with and where I met you, Stomping Jen. I went there, I read it, and I just remember, you know, you know, people politely clapped like they often do at those things, but it wasn't that. It was just the the feeling of community that mm-hmm. I had found. Yeah. Um, and that wow, there's a place for me to take this stuff I've written and share it with somebody. Yeah. And I don't think it's any kind of surprise that out of m- m- the majority of our college friends, we still maintain friendships out of that group. Yeah. Out you of know, that poetry. Out of the club. poetry. Yeah. Group, yeah. Yeah. Um, I understand that very well. There's been a few open mic communities in my life that, you know, these things are living organisms. Open mics come and they go and they, their ecology changes all the time. But, you know, right around that time, 16, 17, I had also uh, discovered the Fired Water uh, Cafe in Northampton, Massachusetts. Mm. It was vegan, mm-hmm. vegan uh, like really earthy, tony thing. And every Wednesday they had an open mic and I stumbled into that too, um, completely randomly. And, you know, that was another thing. I think it was started there. But no one, I had no friends who came there or anything. I was completely, mm-hmm. you know, it's just me. Um, yeah. But, you know, there's a few times when you do find your people. Yeah. You really do. We might have seen you there. That was around the time we were in college. 2017? No, 97. Oh, no, no. 97. Oh, 97. Fire and water was long gone in 2017. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah. I was the kid um, shouting over every over everybody and trembling a lot, probably, and uh, <laughs> talking about air conditioners and stuff like that, you know? 
Yeah, I mean that's that that that's an interesting thing because um, I've done so much public speaking now. I know I no longer get nervous, but when at, at the beginning, I would tremble. I would sh- I would I would shake. And ha- at the as you've gone along um, as a as a as a poet and somebody who um, per, you know reads your poetry out loud, has your nervousness abated any? Like in life. Um, in, in, in the context of, of sharing your work and getting up in front of crowds. That's the only time I'm really ever comfortable with myself is when I'm reading. And right before I go up, I'm kind of a live wire. When I go down, I'm definitely a live wire. Uh, I tend to walk to the back of the room and not talk to anybody for a few minutes. I just got to shake, shake it out. Um, and the rest of the time I'm just a, a ball of nerves. (laughs) Yeah. And is is that would you we've talked we talk a lot about um, flow flow state with with the different artists we talk to on this podcast and I'm curious when you're reading if you're in in that kind of state of flow you're not really you're not thinking too hard you're just kind of immersed in the performative nature of your of your work. I that's a great question. I, I personally I try to I try to avoid the you know I've used the word perform. Mm-hmm. But I try to um, uh, not think of it that way. Um, as long as I can remember, the goal when I went up there was to find myself back to get to a point where I remember why I wanted to write the poem and where I was when I was writing the poem. Because, um, so it's not an affectation, uh, but. So the flow comes from that. The flow comes from wanting to uh, like convey something good, something honest, I suppose, to the people who have, whose time I've asked for. I know there's a lot of poets who um, see it the reverse, that it's their moment and the audience is just kind of, you know, window dressing. I've always felt the reverse, that they're, they're being generous to me. And so I owe it to them. Um, so in that sense, I mean, it's not a performance. It's just kind of trying to honor, honor the moment. Yeah. It's really interesting. Um, I'm thinking, I'm just thinking back to the beginning of the podcast when you read the two poems, you had very different, um, approaches to how you, you read those. You know, I feel like, I feel like you were in, I feel like you were in, in a different space kind of for each one of those poems. I mean, I have to be, um, yeah. Think about this, the thing about this book and is that I don't think I wrote in my own real voice much. And that's why the poems are so different from the poems in my, I don't know, I say my normal life, my day job poems. Um, because it's in the poems I write, outside of the context of the poetry on demand stuff, I'm kind of writing from a place of um, personal experience, personal perspective. I'm often writing about something that actually happened, at least at its root. So I have some responsibility to that thing that actually took place and it's moment of inspiration. I can't just kind of make it up as I go along. it's not really how I work. At least the poem won't be good if I do that. Uh, I just, I, I owe a lot more, but with this stuff, 
it's all dependent on what somebody else gives me. Yeah. And, and it's all dependent on, yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, let's talk a little bit about your latest chapbook, Go on Bewilderment. Sure. It's these, it's a collection of 16 poems that you wrote mm-hmm. in this kind of on-demand style. Can you tell us just a little bit about what that means and, again, how that how yeah. that process works for you? Yeah. Um, it's not... It's a labor of love. Um, I know... I know the poets... There's these poets in Texas have been doing this for a long time. Uh, kind of, you know, you someone goes up and they have some kind of prompt and then they write what they want to write and then they give it back to you. Um, so when, uh, when Alex came to me, Alex Muller from Attack Bear Press, um, her, fa- her grandfather was a, uh, a journalist in the, uh, World War II. And what he instilled in Alex was a love of the typewriter and being community oriented as Alex and her partner are, Alex wanted to incorporate that into community outreach. And so there's these typewriter expositions where several of her typewriters, she has like 30 of them. Um, and uh, they wanted to have some poets. And I got to tell you, I was the last good idea that you'd want. No, that's, that, not, not the last good idea. Um, like I was the last person you'd think of this because I'm so meticulous and I'm so methodical with the way I write. Most of my poems take years and, you know, to really, to really, to really find a place where I feel like I can step away from them and really breathe. And so to kind of put me in a public thoroughfare with a contraption I had very little um, experience with in a, uh, you know, frenetic thing. And I'm just supposed to write poems out of nowhere. Um, that's really not my, my gig. Uh, did did you they find, really, they really, yeah. I'm sorry, go, go ahead. They really thought it would be a good idea. Um, so I gave it a shot. Did you find that challenge fulfilling ultimately? Did it, did it bring something out in you? Maybe you didn't, weren't expecting or. Yeah, that's why the book exists. Um, I really didn't think much, much would happen. And, you know, these are 16 poems. There's 16 out of like 50, 55. Um, uh, all I asked from, from Attack Bear Press is some um, carbon paper. So when I wrote, I could have a copy of it. So I, I knew I wasn't giving anything away. Um, the challenge, I think, was also what made, made, um, made the poems uh, interesting is because um, right, I'm, a, I'm from the spell check generation. I've written on a computer my whole life or I've written, I've never been in a position where I could spell the word improperly and it wouldn't fix it for me. Uh, the first, the physicality of a typewriter, it's like um, a, a musician being given another instrument and saying, you know, go play the music. And um, I think the pressure of that along with some other things I, I, I set for myself, limitations I set for myself, um, really produce something I'm, I'm, I'm relatively proud of. And that's, that's a lot for me to say. Um, and how, how did you select the 16 poems out of the, the 50 plus that you wrote? Was there something, did they just talk to you in a certain way or? 
they did talk to me. They said, we're the best of these poems. Yeah. Please put us in that book. Uh, that's what they did. Um, yeah. But, you know, a narrative does, it's a lot more romantic than I expected it to be. <laughs> Most of my poems are a lot more fraught and a lot more, I don't know if you can hear the jets flying in the background. We have, we're close to an air base. Uh. Um, but, um, uh, most of my poems are a lot more fraught and a lot more, um, there's a lot more psychodrama going on. Yeah. With these, I, I told you the atmosphere, the engaging with people. Um, the thing I wanted to do, and it was a lifelong dream. Um, there's this movie uh, I've always loved called Before Sunrise. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, yeah. It's just two people, two people walking through Vienna and, you know, slowly falling in love um, or, yeah, and uh, there's this moment late in the late in the movie where uh, this poet walks up to them and is like, "Hey, hey, and, um, I don't want to beg for your money, so I'm a poet. So why don't you give me a word, and I'll um, write a poem with that word in it, and you pay me what you want to pay me." Um, that's been, a dream of mine has been to do that. Yeah. Um, I don't own the suit. I've never really been like in a position to kind of hang out all day, but. Um, Finally, I had the opportunity to steal something I've always wanted to steal. Um, and so that's, I was happy. And I think the poems came from someone else giving me a word and letting my mind go where it needed to go, which is why um, the poems are in such a different voice. Do you feel any pressure while you're writing um, from a Absolutely. person standing there watching you? Does that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's what brings out anything it's um i'm not thinking a lot and you mentioned i was in uh my school i was in grad school at the time and so i'm immersed in erudition you know and to be able to go into a thing like this with a typewriter and have just the limitation of um, i have to finish it in five minutes it has to be based on a word someone else gives me yeah uh, like it i finally was able to just you know do it for the art of it. I was finally back in my bedroom writing poems. I wasn't someone who, you know, had to think about publishing or had to think about grad school or had to think about justifying to my family why I'm doing this at all. Like it was just about the moment. Yeah. And that external prompting is interesting to me from the creative perspective, because I, I mean, for me anyways, so much of my writing just comes from internal generation, right? I'll be in the shower and an idea will pop into my head or sorry for that horrifying image stomping Jen of no, me no, being showers, in the shower. Showers, no showers where it's at. Uh, a lot of the writing for me comes in the shower too. Cause you're so, again, you're distracted by the water. You're distracted by everything. That's when the, the that's when the good stuff comes. Yeah. And in this on demand process though, the, and, and sometimes these ideas literally come out of a vending machine, right? The, the, um, the, that's, the, that's something different. Or the prompts, or the or the people, you just ask them for a word, yeah. right? And they give it to you? Yeah, I say, I say please give me a word. Yeah. And this is often when they panic. Like, it's weird when you ask somebody to, to select a single word, they tend to kind of go near the headlights. So they walk away and they, they come back and they think of, they thought about it and they give it a very specific word. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. And that's, I think... More than the poems themselves, it was the dialogue uh, that I think the book kind of represents because we were doing this in the years before COVID. In fact, um, some of the poems are written 
March of 2020, about a week or two before everything shut down. Yeah. I mean, as soon, and as soon as you ask somebody for a word and they give you one, you're kind of engaged in a creative contract in a way. Like there's a, yeah, yeah. there's a creative relationship that's been established and has to be delivered upon. Yeah. And that you know, might be. I owe them something with that word in, but I, that's the part. I owe them something with the word in it. And I don't really owe anything, any, you know, I owe it to be good too, if I can. Um, yeah, other than that, I don't really owe myself anything else. And I was just reflecting for some people like that. They may not know that that's what they're scared of, right? But that might be a scary or daunting idea for the the person who's been tasked with giving the idea too. Like, I, oh, know, honestly, I yeah, you know, yeah. Go ahead. Honestly, I think I think they just want to go on to the next uh, booth. You know, they've stumbled into something they've committed to for the next ten minutes, <laughs> yeah. five, five minutes. Some people like really get into it. Other people. Um, you know, uh, it's, it's one of those things where you're, it's America, when you're asked to select one single thing, you tend to have a panic attack. Yeah. I'm probably projecting. Cause I know I'd be like, uh Oh, I've got to give this poet this it's word a lot of pressure. and I'm, I'm going to get something. And I'm, I'm trying, I'm looking at the, I'm looking at the poem, Adam, that you wrote for us on, um, April 24th. <laughs> and I don't yeah. know who did one of our children mm-hmm. give Adam the word? Yeah, I can tell yeah, you. Do you, yeah. you know which do you oh, know which yeah. word it was? Yeah, so he bold the galaxy word. and oh. asteroids. I remember I remember I was galaxy and asteroids. Black yeah. holes. This one is black, black holes. holes. Yes. Are, are you, could I could I um honor you by reading this? I don't know if you'd honor me. The best part about this is I get to give it away and never and never see it again. <laughs> I mean, um, but I don't remember what I I don't remember what I wrote. But go ahead. I know when I write for children, I tend to kind of limit myself a little bit. Sure. But, um, let's hear it. Let's hear it. Okay. I'll, um, I'll, I'll kind of I'll, I'll cover my ears. Okay. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna try, I'm gonna try to do my best. All right. Um, You're gonna do great. You're gonna do, do you have really well. Do you have any? I asked I asked this of another poet actually who um, we talked to. Um, on this podcast before, do you have any advice for reading a poem that you give people? Oh, um, uh, just read, read, uh, it depends. I mean, just read the thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. You want to go. I mean, th- I mean, there's like, there's stuff that tells you what, what you're supposed to do, I suppose. But at okay. this point, there's no hard and fast rule how to do it, All right, especially the, the poems I write here. So you just do it. You're going to do a great job. I know you okay, will. Okay, I'm going to do my best. I'm just going to read it, Stomping Jen, okay? All right, here it is. This one doesn't have a title, um, so we're going to go. Um, here we go. I bent around the doorway. The ink of your eyes, love, kept there for hours. I slept inside. A century. I sleep inside a seashell. Your eyelashes, your kiss goodbye, need naming the way even the black holes need naming. Tell them I've discovered nothing. I don't want credit for what the next heart finds. I like this. So I gotta make that louder. Yeah. Thank you. I gave that one to a kid. You're welcome. You're welcome. It was fun. That was a gift too. I, I remember liking writing that one. Yeah, that's great. That's crazy because, like, ugh, what? Just having written poetry in my lifetime. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't know how that happened. <laughs> You're very talented. That's all I have to say. <laughs> Thank you. I don't know where. I don't know how it happened either. I sh- I, there's no reason I should be doing 
poetry at all. I should be doing something else in my life. But I got this instead. And I'm thankful. Uh-huh. I like how, uh, sorry, Adam, you can't see, uh, but Sawtooth has bolded the word given in this question that he had. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier that the words in the chat book that are are boldened, I'm assuming, are the ones that are given to you. Uh, Yes, yes. So that was black holes, I think, right? It was black holes. Yeah. Yeah, and the other one was Galaxy. Yeah. Yes. What was your kid's name again? That's what was your right. kid's name again? Uh, Space Unicorn. <laughs> uh, our daughter. Um, yeah, uh, we don't. Yeah. yeah, we don't say their real names on here. Um, but oh, sure. you know what? That's of course. That's ridiculous. Of course. Yeah. No. No. Uh, no. It's okay. So, so yeah. But, some, um, she she was wearing a NASA T-shirt that day. <laughs> she was yeah, very okay, into okay. NASA. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Space Unicorn. I'm happy. I'm happy to do it again. Yeah. Thank you. And is it? Is it hard for you to put out unrevised poems out there in the world? I know you keep the carbon copies, but do you do you take them back in a sense and rework them at all based on off of the carbon copies that you keep, or are they just um, they are the things that you no. made in that moment? Uh, no, I think if I uh, no, that's why nothing in the book is been revised. Everything was done within five to six minutes, and it's it's it it's on the page exactly the way it went out. I, I thought that to rework it would be to kind of ruin the whole point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, honestly, I like giving them away. Some are better than others, but um, I'm happy to just have had the experience and I'm grateful. Mm. Yeah. And you talked about how um, the, um, uh, the book came out of the collaborative project with Attack Bear Press. Um, yeah. And um, can you tell us a little bit maybe about how you think about collaboration as a writer, um, as a poet, as a creative person, how important oh. those relationships are to you? Or maybe they're not important. Oh, um, you know, it's rare that you find anybody who says, I like your work. I want to put your work out there. I like your work. I want to find you more work. It's the type of thing that um, like I said is rare. And uh, not only the people that attack their press, great people, but they're uh, great artists. And I met them through open mics and um, they've been wonderful in that sense. And so the book the book itself has been a collaboration in the sense that it started with, you know, Alex Wolder's idea. It was born of Jason Montgomery's hustle and vision. Uh, the design uh, of the book, it was like, it was my design idea, but I don't know anything about graphic design. Catherine Weiss had uh, a role, you know, a little bit, and then kind of in the zero hour, uh, my friend Adam Rubenstein just, donated a bunch of time within the last week before it went to press and was able to really, uh, you know, make something I think is special. It's beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. And I, I just, and I love that there is this enduring um, artifact um, resulting from that, that project. Right. Um, so 
I want to kind of talk a little bit about um, your non-on-demand writing process. Um, you mentioned that it's a different thing, um, obviously. Um, what is what is? How do you normally or typically write a poem? How does that process work for you? Mm. It's evolved, but um, it's evolved that it keeps uh, evolving. Um, but it always starts with kind of a a half understanding of an experience, a couple of lines that you know hit me the right way, um, and so I write them down. It's just, you know, I, sometimes I try not to write the poem until I can't help it. And I'll, you know, one thing they do, in, what they think they do in uh, grad school is you don't write poems anymore. You draft poems, hmm. and then you and then you keep revising afterwards. Um, I'd say for a good deal of time, once I had to start, uh, you know, my daughters were in school now, and I had to take them places. And, you know, I'm always, I was in my car a lot. I can't really write in a car. And I, my mind works too fast. Like writing it down with my hands on a piece of paper was lost. So I just started um, like writing the poem audibly with a just press record um, app. And I'll do that and I'll go until I'm tired and it'll, it'll stay in there. Um, and then I'll go back to it a few days later. I'll find out it was not nearly as good as what I thought it was. Um, but I'll transcribe that and then I'll put it somewhere until it's time to go back to it. Um, it's a long process for me. And I don't know how everyone else does it, but it's just figuring out what needs to be there and doesn't need to be there. And um, plugging the holes and at all time making sure you know why you're writing a poem and what you're doing and trying to get yourself out of, get your, your own writer ego out of, I mean, it, writing itself is all ego and revising is kind of ego too. What's hope, what I hope is that none of that ego shows on the page. Um, and, you know, there's no, there's no quite um, fixed way for me to finish a poem. It's just kind of done when it's done. Yeah. And um, that's when I send it out to try and publish it. And, you know, it gets rejected. And so by then I've decided it's not done and I want to keep working at it. You know, um, I know that I've never really published a poem that I wasn't 100% on. I'll send poems out that I'm not 100% on. Yeah. Uh, maybe, I'm th maybe I think I'm wrong. Maybe it's fine. I've never once really gotten one that I wasn't solid on. Do you when you when you're not um, dictating into the phone or or after you've done that? Do you tend to work on a computer? Do you like to do pen or pencil on paper first? Do you have a preference for the 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 medium for getting the ideas out and starting to work with them? God help me! I've been using the typewriter. Um, when I wrote all these poems, I never it was a borrowed typewriter. It was one of Alex's typewriters. I uh, but I kind of came to love the physicality of it. And so I do a lot of writing, transcribing on the typewriter these days too. Uh, in fact, when I have poems I'm still struggling with from, you know, a year ago, sometimes I'll just type them out and I'll find what I was looking for. Yeah. I, um, I can still smell 
the typewriter that I, that I grew up with. You um, grew up with a typewriter? In, in my house, yeah. My father had a, an old typewriter. You know, one of these big gray things, you know, with the big green keys. And like, I can, I can still, it's like a visceral experience opening the, the case, smelling the metal and the oil. And like, I used to love pecking away on it myself. Yeah. There's a poet I love named uh, James Galvin. And he kind of, before I had a typewriter, um, I think I was doing the stuff with uh, Attack Bear at that point, but uh, I was listening to an interview with him. I went to a little residency program. It wasn't residential. I wasn't at the school. So that, that time it's low res. So I go there to the college for about 11 straight days. It's like a third of a semester in 11 days. Um, and then I go back to my house and then I correspond with one of the faculty back and forth for the next four or five months. And then I go back to the school. Yeah. So what you, what you miss in all of that is that kind of walking with the professor from class and the kind of, kind of immersive thing. So um, I wanted that anyway. So I just, I tried to just immerse myself in as much audio and video of the poets I was reading and anything I could podcast specifically I, I, I listen to a lot of but in all my travels uh, James Galvin um, said this he says when I type on a computer I don't know where anything goes I press a key and something just shows up on a screen but I can't really follow it but with the typewriter you press J and you hear the hammer go J you really, you've made something and mm -hmm. you know that might be a little esoteric and, but um, I can speak to the difference. Yeah. I mean, no, there, there, there's something I'm just trying to think to myself, you know, I, I have done a little bit of cartooning in my time um, here and there. And I, and I always prefer to draw pen to paper right? Like actual ink pen on paper as I'm going, right? Mm -hmm. And when I do a cartoon, I never know, this is just my own process. I never know how I'm starting, right? But I love something about the riskiness of putting the pen on the paper and not being able to erase it and just going with whatever comes out of my mind. It's not how I write poems or do other types of writing. Like I, I'm okay doing that on a computer, but but there's something about for me when I'm creating drawings, I have to have that risk of permanence. And I don't know if that... But you draw in pencil sometimes. Not anymore, no. I rarely do that. Um, I don't know if that if, if, if that it, it, is at all at play for you when you're doing typewriter work? or Absolutely. Um, it is in general with poetry across the board. I've irritated friends, and I've probably irritated um, workshop students when I have them. Because I talk about risk in poetry as essential. Um, every poem, I, I kind of feel like every poem should have some level of risk in, in it. Like risk in subject matter, risk in approach. And maybe more importantly, like personal risk. Stuff that might necessarily show up in the poem, but you know there's risk to it. Mm -hmm. And it kind, of, it kind of transmits into the poem somehow. But yeah, risk is huge for me. And I think the poem's here um you know it's i was able to finally kind of 
safely embrace that. Yeah, and I was I was reading through some of your other poems that you have um, linked on your your website, and just for people listening to this, um, we're going to put all of the links to Adam's um, web presences in the podcast show notes. And we'll we'll share them on social media when we share the episode, so you can go into the the comments and and click on these links that mm-hmm. I'm talking to you about. But I was reading one of your poems um, earlier this morning, um, and it, I, and please forgive me, I'm going to get the title of it wrong. It, it was something to the effect of "Panic Attack in the Yellow Lot at UMass." Yeah, right. Um, yeah. UMass it- is a large local university near where we live, and mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, I wonder. I wonder what I'm, this looks really interesting. So I I opened it up and I was, um, I was taken by the, um, there was a a tension in the writing, right? A, it felt, it felt on the edge to me, kind of like, and very, very powerful emotions in it. Hey folks, after we recorded this episode, Adam sent me this recording of his reading of the poem that we're discussing. Hope you enjoy it. Panic Attack at the UMass Yellow Lot, Spring 2003. Riding the margin, the guardrail sings its sad, sad song. The windshield will not punch back. Hair stuck to the wheel while the blood swells your wrist. Bald stare in the closing heat. The blue unmerciful around lines of glass that shatter spectacularly but stay intact. Another odd fate. Tracing the cut glass that cannot cut you. Nothing can keep the beauty from finding your fist. But what light spills from such things? There is nothing now save the sweat in your throat. You blink your eyes. The hazard lights. Your heart. My interpretation was it was um, the poem was grappling with, you know, feelings in or around some kind of car accident or something like that near this yellow lot. And so I was just, <laughs> I don't know. Well, um, I'll, I'll do what I can. Um, I think, yeah, cause it's worth it. Um, I mean, the car accident, it's not, a, there was not a car accident, but there was an incident with a car and a windshield and, um, you know, I can't imagine if for anyone who doesn't know what the yellow lot in UMass Amherst is, it's not the type of thing you really get to an accident that would really hurt anything other than the turtles they have walking through it because it's the parking lot kind of paved over their habitat. Yeah. Uh, we talked about poems and uh, where they come from. That poem I wrote in, I haven't even met my wife yet, uh, 2003. That poem, that poem was first written in 2003. Um, and I didn't do much with it. So it's, it's almost a piece of juvenilia, even though it was published last year. Um, I think I'll say mental illness play plays a heavy role in my life, but I don't, I don't necessarily write about it as a subject matter. I think it's in the poems everywhere, but it's not something I really, uh, 
as a topic have spent a lot of time um, exploring directly. Uh, but um, it was originally called uh, something else. Uh, and, uh, but it always in the back of my mind was kind of something I liked. And I came across a journal called Serotonin. And um, they're, they're a, a, new, a new journal, they're an online journal, and they're dedicated to poetry um, about mental illness, within the concern of mental illness. And um, I uh, came across it somehow, I don't remember how, I think. And I read some of it, I liked it. And I thought maybe I had found a home for this long abandoned child of a poem. Yeah, and, was, uh, they were they were gracious enough to like to like it. Yeah, I was wondering about that. I've I've talked very openly on this podcast about my own struggles with generalized anxiety, um, depression at various points in my life, and um, you know that the title grabbed me as a as a um, somebody who 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 deals with anxiety. So I, I was, and it definitely conveyed the emotionality that. Um, for me anyways, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm obviously projecting and putting my own experience yeah. on your words. And, yeah. and that's what poems are supposed to do in a sense, right? All art. All, All yeah. art, right? Um, but I definitely connected to it very strongly on that, on that level. <laughs> so I'm happy to hear it. I'm happy to hear that. Um, yes, it's exactly, um, John Stewart's a hero of mine. And again, he wasn't talking about poetry, but he said something once I, again, I'm just throwing quotes out now, but, uh, is like you can only control your intention. And that's something that's really important to me as well is, and that's why I write as long as I do, uh, because once it goes out, it goes out and it, it doesn't belong to me anymore. It's there to be interpreted, it's there. So, and I can't, I can't follow the poem and say, oh no, really what it was about was, I had this thing happen to me in the woods once, that didn't happen, I'm making that up. Uh, you know, it's there for you to do what you need with it. Yeah. I believe in that. Yeah. And so I'm happy it was there to do what you needed with it. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, the poems, poem titles often solve problems for me. And, um, you know, the poem, the title was something a little more, um, uh, I don't know, abstract. But when I was going to submit it, I wanted to make sure it was about what it was about. And so I, called it panic attack in the <laughs> yellow lot because that's what it was. And um, I think it, I think it helped explain what the poem was too. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you for writing it and putting it out there in the world. Um, yeah. I'm happy. I'm, I'm happy you like it. I am. Thank you. Um, so you, you've talked about um, a little bit about how personal experiences inspire your writing. Any, is there anything else that kind of serves as a muse for you um, when you're, that will help help inspire a poem or, or, or something else creatively in you? Yeah. At, at this point, it's, at this point I've been doing it so long. It's, it, it's, um, it's as much of a job as it is a vocation. I don't really have any illusions about poetry being some um, Dionysian thing that is only there to celebrate and, um, you know, be read at weddings and funerals. Um, I'm a writer, I write. Uh, so it's always amazing to write the first draft. And it's always perfect in your head. That moment when you have an idea, wherever it comes from, or you have some sort of solution and you just get it down before you lose it or you speak it out loud, 
I live for that. It, it lasts about five minutes. And then I walk away from it. And I know when I come back to it, it's going to be a different poem than what it felt like it was. Um, and that's when you kind of start over because revising is, is a different kind of writing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, 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 you kind of got to let yourself go and meditate on it a bit and just kind of, now you, now you, now you have to listen to what the poem wants, even if you don't want it to want that. Um, what inspires me more than anything is reading poetry. Um, there's an adage, you know, you have to read to write. I really believe in that. Um, if I'm not reading, I'm not writing. You hear a lot of great writers say that. Um, I, I, I know he's a bit in the the pop culture mainstream, but that that has been a constant refrain of um, Stephen King, right? It's like I, I I read as much as I write, you know, or more. I'm always reading. That's like what he says, and he says, in order to be a great writer, you have to read. Yeah, and I, I want to backtrack a little bit because I think it came off sounding prescriptive. Um, if I don't want to write, I don't read poetry. If I'm not in a good mood or I know I'm not in a, you know, super positive place, I don't read poetry because I know if I do, it's going to, it's going to make me want to write. And I know it's not going to be, you know, a good experience. So I lay off. I have a rule that poetry can never hurt. Mm. And so if it's going to hurt to write, it's going to be frustrating to write. Um, Sometimes I can't help it. Sometimes I have to, but um, sometimes I have to back away from the thing I've, you know, devoted my life to it, and I love it. Sometimes you you gotta let it just exist outside of you for a little while. And so I read nonfiction or something yeah. else for a while. Sure. Uh, yeah, but every time I know, every time I pick up a book when I'm feeling better, um, it's hard not to read even a few poems and get back to the typewriter. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you about rejection and how you um, how you've dealt with that uh, over over the years, and if that if your approach to dealing with rejection has been informed by years of experience and, and what you have to say about it. You know, I'm I'm lucky in the sense that um, you know. I didn't put out stuff a lot, but the stuff I put out ended up getting accepted. So it almost, I think when a poet gets some, some, at least their perception of success early, I don't know if they know what to do when they don't get um, accepted or they they don't get success. It's almost like they're owed something. Um, That's not me though. Uh, That's just talking. Um, How do I deal with rejection? Um, I kind of have to, I don't succeed at this all the time, but I, I kind of have to see it as part of the game. You, you know, you get to a place maybe where you know you're not a bad poet, but you also know that there are hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of poets who are just as good as you. And there are hundreds of poets who are even better than you. And you have to ask yourself, you know, why me? You know, if a journal gets 600 submissions in a month, why my poem? I don't know how to put it. It's, it's, it's so random who gets published and how. Yeah. And I, I'm not saying that's, a, that's not even a criticism. I think that's hysterical. 
and uh, kind of it's what makes poetry poetry because you make sure that you're writing because you want to write. If you're writing to get published exclusively, it's going to be a sad experience. Um, you know, I think getting one acceptance for every, I don't know, 50 submissions is you're doing pretty well. Mm. You're doing very well, actually. Yeah. Um, you, you know, when you do it, I think the part about dealing with rejection is knowing what you're doing, knowing who you're submitting to, you knowing why you're submitting to them, being realistic. I think every poet sends to the New Yorker the first time because they think they can get into it. You know, we all have that like New Yorker rejection somewhere. Right. Um, On a nail. It, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's not to say it's not devastating, not to say it's not hard. It's just, you know, some people have to lift all day for their job and their back's going to hurt eventually, but they still have to lift. It's a, the poems, any, the po- yeah, what? Sorry. Uh, no, please. Yeah, please. Yeah. I, I just, you know, um, Although we have met in a poetry club, I have not written poetry in many, many years and never pursued it really outside of college. But um, it struck me when you were talking about the you, the panic attack poem and how the journal that you submitted it to deals with mental health issues. And I never, like, I don't, I don't, I don't read poet poetry journals or, you know, I don't know much about them, but it struck me like, Oh, that totally makes sense. Like if, if there's like a journal out there that has like a thematic, uh, you know, target to it to make sure that the poem that you're submitting to that journal (laughs) sort of fits that theme or that general tone that they're looking for. I I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. People, readers and editors, they can tell this is someone who's Mm -hmm. just submitting to us because, they've heard of us. Right. Exactly. You know, when I, when I submit, I look at the editors, I look at what they're writing. I actually look at the readers a lot too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if, if they're all, all the readers are under the age of 25, I don't think I have a chance. Mm-hmm. I'm just too much of a four. I'm just too much of a 40 year old guy writing. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. And I mean, that's, that's fine. Uh, but it really has to do with, if you professionalize it, you really have to, how much time do you have this, you know, to submit you just have to be smart smart about it smart I mean, rejected yeah yeah but yeah, then that, that's the know. message that i heard coming from you and i never thought about that i mean not, not that i'm sub- submitting yeah. to <laughs> poetry <laughs> journals but for listeners out there who might be interested yeah yeah it's you know but or, or anything else like it's good to submit you've written a poem the poem deserves to be given a chance one way or another you know it's just it doesn't devalue what you've written because it's not a personal rejection. In fact, it's not personal at all. It's just, it was the wrong read. It can be as simple as the, 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 the first reader was not in a good mood that day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't even think that's a, I don't even think that's a tragedy. I think it's good. I think cranky readers are really good for a journal because that guarantees that the good stuff is really going to get through because if they're cranky, they're really, they're really looking to be impressed. I want to be a cranky reader. You want to be a cranky reader? <laughs> Don't turn this into a meme. You're a, <laughs> you are a cranky podcast host. Oh, no. Isn't that enough for you? Stop it. Um, you mentioned workshops a little bit earlier when we were talking. Do you do you teach 
workshops and do you, do you teach people how um, to write poetry? I, I teach workshops um, sporadically. I've taught a few. Um, I teach probably one or two a year. Um, 2020 would be the exception. Uh, There's a few things I was gearing up to teach that got canceled um, mm-hmm. once the pandemic really um, became the pandemic. But it's one of my favorite things to do is to, um, you know, get people in the room for about three or four hours and talk to them about a specific subject. Um, that's been, that's, I think, probably my favorite thing to do. Yeah. What do you love about it? I don't think it? I'm cut off for academia. I don't think I can teach the same people for, oh, yeah. um, God, the, the everything about it. I love, um, I love kind of finding something I might know how to do relatively well, like revision or sporadic, spontaneous writing or, you know, I was working on a, I was working on an erotic work, uh, a, a, poem, a, a workshop on erotics oh. this morning. Uh, what, what would, what, yeah, <laughs> what it would entail, what poems I would choose. Um, you know, I'd love to teach that eventually. Uh, but, you know, I'd like, I've, cause I've been on the other side. I've been to workshops. I know what it is to be hungry and want to write and want to develop yourself. Yeah. more so you know get five, get five to ten people in a room on a saturday and it's raining outside and everybody wants to leave happy with something new and have learned something that's to be in the position to be the one who can do that and facilitate that uh, steward is probably the word i would use mm-hmm. that's a wonderful gig to have yeah i was just thinking um you know, as I was making light of erotica or erotic ideas because I'm a child. 15-year-old. Yeah, because I'm <laughs> mentally 15. Yeah. Um, but I, it, it led me to, in, in my shame at going for the easy joke there, um, I was th- I was thinking to myself, um, like, sex and intimacy is an incredibly hard thing to write about in a way that isn't... Um, in a way that doesn't come Press. across as cheap Press. for me. I don't know. I mean, I just, yeah. like, you know, I don't yeah, know. Is that, yeah, I, I, yeah. I want, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit what? about the challenges of that. Sex and sexuality, um, like favor pretty heavily in what I write. Uh, and I take it really seriously because um, it can get so cheap so fast. And like intimacy itself, what you don't touch is as important as what you do touch. And so when you're writing something that has to do with sex, or you're talking about a revelrous moment in life, if you go for kind of the cheap image or the cheap, you know, thing, you know, you're just, it's too hard of a touch. Um, God, I love that. How does that sound? I love that. I love how you explain that. Um, Stomping Jen, you're probably looking over here. Like, um, you could learn something from that sawtooth, Frank. It's no, it's what you don't touch as much as what you do touch. <laughs> oh boy, you know. <sighs> no, I love that. No, that that is so perfectly conceptualized and stated. I love that answer. Again, I'm, I have a hard time even talking about intimacy. That's, like, you know, I've, I've given a lot of thought. Yeah. It's so, Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. This whole conversation is just... Yeah. 
Didn't this happen before the, when we talked to a poet? I'm here, all, I'm here all week. I feel yeah. like where I just like want to dig out all my old poetry. Cause like now I can oh, remember, right. like now I have certain poems that I can think about Yeah, that I can remember like the words to, mm-hmm. but you know, I don't on a daily basis. My, all of my poetry mm-hmm. was my high school angst. Yeah. And then it sort of ended when I met you, my loving partner in life. <laughs> Yeah, I, I can do that. I can kill your creative spirit. Surprise, no, no, surprise. No, 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 no. It's because it was all, yeah. wait, whatever. Yes. You know what I mean. Yeah. Poetry for me was an angsty release. No, I mean, I mean, like I, having, you know, that's the first draft, you know, that's, that's, and it's, 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 it's that. It's, there's a catharsis there that, I mean, should be respected, has to be respected. It's, it's, I think most poets go through this thing where to revise a poem is somehow morally wrong. It's weird how with poet, it's weird how with, you know, with, you know, prose, they teach you how, when, you know, you go into writing a short story knowing you're going to revise it. But with poetry, when you start writing poetry, it's like, if you touch it at all, you ruin, you ruin what made it special. Yeah. And, you know, that letting go of that as you become a, more, a better writer, a more serious writer, kind of having to get back into that moment, it's a hard thing. Yeah. But, you know, God bless the angst. Yeah. yeah. You know, I'm 40 and I'm still writing angsty, my first drafts. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that you're committed, you're committed to a, a, a process um, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. that helps you continue to develop that and work with those first drafts. Um, I wanted to ask you, Adam, um, about I mean, it's as much as an albatross as it is. You know, yeah. Yeah. Um, but it sounds like it's a necessary albatross. If I'm, if I've learned anything from talking to you this evening. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about, um, being the, um, the, the recipient of the the 2020 Parent Writer Fellowship from um, the Martha's I can't say the word Martha, Martha. I, I'm sorry Martha's, Martha's Vineyard Institute of Creative Writing I can't say that word Martha for some reason Martha 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 Thank you Stomping Jen um, Can you tell us a little bit about that um, about about that honor and what that entails um, for you Oh um, it's it's a fellowship um, yep. so that just means I get to go to the conference for free. Um, and and maybe maybe they're nice yeah i mean maybe they're nicer to you too i'm not sure but um it's i don't get those a lot so it was and this is a right a parent writer one so jen this goes back to kind of like you know like find the things that you think you'll you know are looking for you and writer parent is something that i think i am Mm -hmm. And so I, I think I just got, a, I had just finished grad school and um, I saw it and I submitted it and they chose it. It's a poem that, that it's, it's a poem that they, they uh, based the, I, the poem that they liked that gave me the fellowship was a poem called The Plan that I wrote um, for gun violence awareness. It's a poem that seems to have done well. People tend to like a lot. And um so I was happy that it was able to get me a fellowship. And I was supposed to go last year in June to walk on, to be on Martha's Vineyard 
away from the family who I drive crazy, writing poems and listening to poems and the ocean in my ears and COVID. So mm. uh, they pushed it off for a year. I'm actually going to go to it. I'm, I'm, I have the conference, like I think in a few weeks uh, via Zoom. So I will be in my hot office. Oh man. Uh, in the conference. Uh, uh, you know, like, you know, seriously, but you know, it, like I'm sure the view is not going to be nearly as majestic, but you know, any chance you have to be around poetry and a conversation um, is a good, good thing. And I'm happy to meet uh, with the person who um, um, selected me. I'm looking forward to uh, being with a couple of the poets I know by name. Um, I'm going to have a lot of fun. Awesome. Um, what are you working on now? What am I working on now? Um, getting back into understanding what the outside world is and what my place is in it. That's a pretty big deal. Uh, is that reflecting, about, is that reflecting itself in your, in your poetry? You know, yeah, it actually is. That's a great, thank you for saying that. That's exactly what I'm doing. I've been writing about, I think I've been writing a lot about, you know, I wouldn't call it the erotics, but I would call a lot of moment that has a lot of interpersonal man woman stuff. Um, well, specifically as my life, um, but, and a lot of uh, parenting, you know, fatherhood stuff, a lot of just trying to handle masculinity in a way that doesn't simultaneously crush you and, um, and uh, I don't know, define you. And that's been something I've been writing about for a long time. I think the past year it's found me writing a lot more about um, what was behind all that. You know, there's a lot of wound I didn't even know I had that's, you know, and those poems are a long way away from being ready, but um, I'm excited to see what the heck happens to them. Yeah. Do you see them possibly um, being in some kind of, you know, a couple of years from now or whatever it is, some kind of, covid collection or something you know like from no, this period I, I have i mean i think i have a covid poem that i may i wrote mm -hmm. that won't ever see the light of day because there's too many covid collections at this point i know i got i know i had um my first piece of ephemera was published from uh catherine weiss's uh new journal um night coffee um and that was great, but that was like a piece of paper. That was like a thing I typed out on a back of a while you were out slip. But it, I mean, it was, it did have something to do with COVID. Uh, and it was one of those things that if I tried to touch it, if I tried to do anything with it, I, it would have fallen apart in my hands. Um, but in terms of how the, how the pandemic will factor into the writing, I think the isolation has kind of made it impossible to lose myself in moments in life that I've been, that, you know, maybe were a little more uh, wide-eyed. Uh, I've had to kind of deal with, you know, growing up and there's some legacy to that. And I can't believe I never wrote about it before. Yeah. And I'm, I'm happy to be getting it out. I don't know what's going to come of it. Some of it might be good. Some of it will not, might not be, be not so good but I'm happy that it's finally 
um, out of me. Yeah. Uh, what I've been doing outside of poetry, there's a couple of um, there's a couple of uh, essays I've been playing with. One about um, what has a lot to do with uh, Ilya Kaminsky's Deaf Republic from an angle I don't think I do. It's, it's, it's a thing I've been working on. And the other thing I've been working on is uh, a long essay about uh, poetry and photography and how, how analogous they are. Mm. That's interesting. I can't wait to I read that. I keep that close to my best though. Yeah. You know, what, you. you know what we're going to do when you publish that essay, we're going to yeah. have you back on with That's a photographer right. and we're going to have a conversation about that. Stomping Jen, Sounds write like that. Great idea. Write that down, please. It's oh, it's recorded for it. posterity. Oh right, it's recorded <laughs> here. <laughs> Silly yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> um, anything else that you want to talk to us about? Was there anything you were absolutely dying to make sure we covered before before we um, go into our our final kind of non writing related questions for you? Um. I want to say, I guess, no, I, I think you said you wanted me to read a poem again or something like that yeah, before I, it was done on the way up. But, but other than that, I think, you know, this has been a really wonderful conversation to have. Thanks. We love talking to you. Um, I've, I've said this over and over again. I, I, I can talk to artists and creatives endlessly. Like I just, you all have so much. You, yeah, you have, you have. You all have so much to offer um, to yes. us all. So thank you, thank you for thank spending you. the time with us. Um, so, um, and I, I want I want you to try to focus on non writing type of stuff when you answer this question. Um, <laughs> I'm looking for a non a non writing type of answer. What do you like to do for fun when you're not working? Um, how do you uh, how do you decompress? What do you What do you do to that's not related to writing to kind of connect with yourself? I I have a lot of potted plants and vegetables that I I mm. like to tend to. I like to drive, and um, one thing I've been able to do is I just kind of make mixes on Spotify like I used to when I was a teenager, mm. and um, I, I happen to enjoy that a lot. It's a very guy in his forties thing to do. <laughs> I'm guilty of. <laughs> but, um, I'd, I'd say th I'd say yeah I'd say that in movies and really just spending time with my wife and um, doing what I can to make the children uh, good honorable people who will be prepared for the life yeah those are all those are all great things to do so mm -hmm. um, alright this question um, we love to ask people and you can interpret it any way you want, literally. Um, it's not meant to be a setup. Um, uh, what have you experienced that you can't explain or have a hard time um, explaining? I think there's something about being near running water, particularly small rivers or streams, streams, that I have really no interest in writing about or really truly articulating. There's something about being in the middle of a stream with my feet in it particularly, and especially after it's rained or during the raining, that it's so profoundly human, but I have no real interest in making it into art. Thank you for sharing that. 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That was, some, that was a stressful question. Sorry. Um, I, you no, know, no, I, I'm, joking. I'm joking. No, it wasn't that stressful. Uh, it, was, it, was good to, it was good to come up with that answer. We have got, um, I'll give you one of these. That was, that was a great answer. Um, no, th- we've, we've had folks who flat out just can't answer the question sometimes mm-hmm. when we ask it and that's okay. I'm just curious. Um, no, I, oh, that's I was, a great question. I was struck by something when you said, when you talked about the stream and the running water and the, the, the humanness of it and it, it, it flashed an image from a, a book that I dearly loved mm-hmm. or that I still love in my <laughs> mind. Um, it's Cormac McCarthy's The Road. I don't know if you've read it. Um, Twice. Yeah. Um, the end of the, the very end of that book. Um, You're giving away the spoilers. Oh, is it? A, can I it's give a spoiler? Been for too long. A, no, you, you go ahead and do that. It's please. been like 15 please. years. No, they should have yeah. read it by now. Yeah. Is that what you're um, saying? Yeah, it's, it's your own fault. <laughs> the, the end of the book, um, which is um, a dystopian future, kind of this dystopian environmental wreckage type of situation, ends um, with a scene of a of a stream deep in a forest, it's right? Like a fish in it, right? And well, no, um, not quite. It evokes the images of it. The fish might be there. You never really know, um, but it's about the um, the elemental kind of humanness and the elemental life bringing of the stream and the river and the possibilities, right, that lie ahead because of the stream deep in the forest. I don't know. That's the image that popped in my mind no. when you described it. You know, it's 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 weird that that's what sticks out to you because I I I've read it twice and I I really what I remember about the book that, that I think that speaks to what you're talking about is I remember. You know, now we're really going to give it away. Um, the way they kept having to say, like, we're going to be fine, I think, because we're carrying the fire. We're carrying the light, yeah. Right. The kid had to say, we're carrying the fire. And the kid, I'm sure that kid didn't quite understand what that meant. But, you know, even with the sentimental stuff on the end where he's going to say to his son, I'll always be with you. Yeah. Um, you know, and then, then, then that's the end of him. And the kid just walks around for a while. And then like another family shows up. Yeah. You know, and like, like it's, it's not really tender, you know, cause they've been following for a while and they kind of had a hunch of music. He's like, like kid, I'm here to take you with me. And he's like, no, he's like, no, he's like, look kid. Like there was a lot of discussion whether I should or not. So I'm here. Like you right. should come. He's like, are you one of the bad people? I was like, no. Right. And for me, it speaks to the same thing, I think, uh, unless I have you wrong, where there's a continuation in that way too. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, cause it's, there's no real resolution other than the life just keeps moving. They keep walking. The road keeps going. That's right. And, and the ocean, you know, it, it is a, it is a mystery, but whether or not those people really were good people. Right. And, but the kid had to take a chance. He had to, he was, you know, he had to, he at least had to take a chance on hope, right? But we never know. Um, it's, yeah. it's played by Guy Pierce in the movie. I have faith in Guy Pierce. And I, I, I have a hunch that it's going to be fine. But I think yeah. it's the decision to reach out Yeah. when there's such a scarcity. Yeah. It's a it's a cool thing. It's a good thing. It's not the type of book you read twice. I don't know why, but... 
Mm. You know, it's just a gorgeous, it's a gorgeous novel. It is. I, it says something about me. I've, I've read it about five times and I have an entire arm Sleeve. tattooed with imagery from the book. My goodness. So you know what? Yeah. I take it all back. You got the river thing right. Don't worry about <laughs> it. <laughs> I, gonna, You're the expert now on, on the road. <laughs> no, but I'm um, not going to get into a, yeah, a thank, Bible court contest with a nun. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for your thoughts on that. I really appreciate it. Um, no. All right. We said we're going to, we said we're going to go out on a poem mm-hmm. um, from a final poem from um, Adam uh, Grabowski. Um and I'm going to encourage everybody listening to this. We're going to say our goodbyes now, and then Adam's going to read his poem, and I'm going to hit, I'm going to hit the the Outro. music. Yeah. Okay. And so the last words we're going to hear from Adam. Wait. I think it should be that way. Wait. You're going to do Adam and then the outro. Yeah. Yeah, that's we're, what we're going to. Yeah, we're going to say goodbye. You just confuse the shit. Adam. No. All right. Listen, Stomping Jen. All right. We're going to say goodbye. All right. Cool. Yes, Stomping Jen. We love you. We do love you. Um, and we hope you enjoyed this lovely podcast we've done yeah, now. I, I, I enjoyed immensely um, talking to Adam and mm-hmm. hearing all of his thoughts. Um, mm-hmm. So, Adam, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate the conversation. You know, thank you as well. I want to thank you very much. Um, it's not easy to make things and uh, keep them going. And it's really easy to, to listen to podcasts it's not easy to carry the fire up with them so as much. And uh, I want to thank you for doing what you're doing and um, your commitment. And uh, I had a lot of fun and it was a bit of a mind walk. And I'm, I'm, thank you very much. Thanks. All right. So without further ado, we're going to hear, we're going to hear Adam's poem. We're going to say bye now. Yeah. Um, so Adam, say bye to everyone. And before you read your poem. Bye to everyone. Thank you for um, spending this 75 minutes or whatever it's going to be with us. Stomping Jen? Bye now. Okay, folks, you know, bye now. And Adam, the floor is yours. Okay. um, I think the poem, I I know the poem I'm going to read. This was the poem we were talking about a little while ago um, with the the Martha's Vineyard fellowship thing. Um, This poem is called The Plan. And it has a little um, epigram in the beginning. Um, and this is for the road as well. I think maybe I want to read it. I'm bulletproof, nothing to lose. Fire away, fire away. Titanium. Di- uh, David Gaeta featuring Sia. The plan. I want to be bulletproof, she says, from the back of the car, Ingrid, my daughter in the third grade. Bulletproof? You want to be bulletproof like the song I say into the rearview mirror? Like a bulletproof vest, she says, for school. I don't want to die. This is what pop music has done to me. 7.50 a.m. this Wednesday ride to Sullivan Elementary. She doesn't like the news that filters out of our bedroom television like an argument through a heating duct. She doesn't like the regularity of the drills now or the determination in your teacher's voice either, but it's the closet where they practice hiding that has her rattled. She can't always get a spot in the back. It's the ones up front whose legs stick out and you can still see their toes. It's the ones up front who die. She has a plan. 
She'll hide in the bathroom, stand up on the toilet where they can't see her legs. She'll keep quiet. She's golden. I was told once that parenting is about slowly losing control, that I can't walk in front of them forever, setting their world to order, that the buildings get bigger and the fields get wider. And now she's nine and she has a plan. I can tell her, go get heartbroken. I know about heartbroken. I can tell her, if you're drunk, I'll carry you home. I've been drunk and been carried home. I don't know what to do when your converse are still peeking out and there's a gun in the room. She has a plan and I want to add that if she's near the gym, she can take the side door, run as fast as she can, but I'm wrong. Just look at the place. You can't even go outside anymore. Parenting is about slowly losing control. And today is the first time my daughter gets to say, you have no idea what you're talking about. The first time I can't say to her, I know exactly what you mean and mean it. My eyes soften. I am slowly losing control. When Sia sings, she means freedom. What my daughter hears is survival. A hidden place for every pair of legs, skin unpierceable in a pierceable world. In five minutes, she'll be in school. Five minutes, and she'll be on her own. This world of ours, ever growing smaller, must avoid becoming a community of dreadful fear and hate. Those who have freedom will understand also its heavy responsibility. That all who are insensitive to the needs of others will learn charity. And that the sources, scourges of poverty, disease, and ignorance will be made disappear from the earth. And that in the goodness of time, all peoples will come to live together in a peace guaranteed by the binding force of mutual respect and love. I shall never cease to do what little I can to help the world advance along that road. 